forward, um, I invite you to bow your heads and join with me in a word of opening prayer. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we have this chance to come before you. We give you thanks that wherever two or more of us are gathered, there you will be. We give you thanks that you move in our lives in mighty ways. And so, God, we pray that for the next hour you move in mighty ways, that we may know your presence, that we may hear your word, that we may be transformed by your grace in our lives. Loving God, we pray that you make this time holy time, that you make this ground holy ground, whether we are here in person, we are joining in online. Loving God, may this be about your praise, about your worship, about the clarion call of your word. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for that birth in Bethlehem so long ago. We give you thanks for that child placed in that manger, that we can know that you are with us and forever that we are not alone, that we are loved by you, our creator, that you sent your son to save us. And so God, we are deeply thankful. But God, help us then to keep our eyes on that manger that leads to the cross, that leads to our salvation, that we may hold on to the gift that you have given us, that we may grow closer to you each day. And loving God, we lift up those things that are on our hearts, those places that where we are weighed down, those people for whom we are concerned. In particular, God, uh, we lift up Kevin, uh, who spent uh, the Christmas in the hospital uh, with gallbladder problems. God, we pray for Kevin. Uh, we pray for his healing. We pray um, that those problems may be resolved. We pray that he may be able to go home soon. We lift up Harry Oliver. Um, we give you thanks, Lord, for the successful surgery that he had. Uh, but, God, we lift up the continued complications he is having after surgery. Uh, we give you thanks that he is home from the hospital. We pray that he may be fully healed. We lift up John Hafner, uh, who suffered some setbacks this week. Uh, God, we pray that John may continue to grow strong, that the setbacks may be put right, that he may continue to make progress. God, we lift up traveling mercies for all those who are traveling, certainly my family as we go to Asheville, uh, but to all who are on the road right now, all of those who are trapped in the travel chaos that is right now. God, we pray for them. Uh, we lift up uh, baby Susanna Larson, um, uh, that she apparently wants a sibling. I don't know how we know this, but she does. Uh, so we lift up Susanna. Um, we lift up Sandra um, for healing um, from pancreatic cancer. Uh, God, we pray that she may be healed, the treatments may work, uh, that she may be set right. Um, and loving God, we lift up also the prayer requests, both spoken and unspoken, all of those things that are weighing on our hearts. God, we hand them over to you and know that in you is healing, in you is comfort, it's you, in you is peace, in you is hope. God, we lift up the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we lift up all of those who are suffering from that, those in our community, those uh, beyond our community. God, we pray for healing. We pray um, this time may be passed, but God, we pray for those who are sick, that they may be made well and that we all may be kept safe, that we all may be able to come through this time together. And God, help us as a church, move in us as a church, that we may ever be thy people, 
that we may ever know you in our hearts and that we may be ever inspired by what you have done in us by that second chance, that next chance love that we have in you to go forth to tell others that all may know what is possible in your grace. In Jesus' most holy name we pray, amen. You all may be seated. Invite the children to come forward um, for a message prepared uh, just for them. Hey, so those of you who are with me in first service don't get to answer these questions. I mean, everyone else gets stuck. Okay, so Pop, this is, this is like the, you know, if you ever had like a spelling test or a quiz or a test at the end of a unit, right? So we've come uh, to the end of our journey around uh, this, this thing. Who remembers what this thing is called? <laughs> Help them out, Jay. What is it called? Right, okay, and so each week in Advent, we've lit one of these candles. So we're on a journey somewhere. Where are we journeying to in Advent? Why do we light a candle every week? Where are we going? What are we heading towards? Advent's the four weeks that lead up to what? What just happened? What happened yesterday? What was yesterday? Christmas Day. It was Christmas Day, right? Okay. And so what do we celebrate on Christmas Day? Jesus being born. Jesus being born. There we go. Just a candle in the center that we lit on Christmas Eve worship. The center candle is the Christ candle. It is the candle that marks that Jesus is born. And yeah, I'm not crazy, I know. Jesus was actually born 2,000 years ago. I get it. But each year, we go through this journey of Advent. We light four candles. And then we light the candle in the center to know the light of Christ still burns in the world. And the light of Christ can still burn in our hearts if we let Christ in. So you guys take your hands like this, put it together like this, bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat after me. Dear God, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us. No matter what. Help us to claim your love for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good job, friends. You guys go back to your seats. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the second chapter of the gospel according to Luke. Uh, chapter 41, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival, the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astounded. And his mother said to him, Child! Why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. 
He said to them, Why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, growing up can be a real doozy. And across kind of time and space, humans have looked at that like 12 and 13 year old, somewhere in that like 12 to 13 year old age bracket, we start to look at people differently. Part of this is like there's a biological marker of this, right? This is uh, normally, doesn't happen this way for everybody, but normally when puberty starts. But then culturally and religiously, it seems to be where we start to place that people have responsibility or some responsibility for their own actions. In school, somewhere between third and fourth grade, somewhere in there is where you stop learning to read and start reading to learn, right? That we've now given you the tool sets. We're not teaching you the tool sets anymore. You are using the tools that you have been given to now generate knowledge for yourself. You go from, I'm really happy that you read this book in like first and second grade, to now I need you to read this book and give a book report or do a project or make a thing based on what you have read. In religious terms, this is where the Jewish bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah is, is right there in that 12 and 13-year-old range. And that is literally, in modern Judaism, saying your parents are no longer responsible for you following the law. You are now responsible for you following the law. There's actually a prayer that comes as part of the bar and bat mitzvah service um, where the father literally says, I'm so glad I'm not responsible. I'm not going to be responsible for your sins anymore. Uh, in the Protestant tradition and in the Catholic tradition, there's this idea of First Communion or Confirmation or something where you learn, or Catechism, right, where you learn the basic tenets of the faith and then have that opportunity to claim those basic tenets for yourself. Again, we have, that is literally the, uh, how, why we do confirmation. When a baby is baptized, we as the congregation promise that we're going to take care of them. In confirmation, that is that child that theoretically we baptize saying, hi, I'm going to take responsibility of this faith. I am claiming Christ for myself. Growing up, growing up becoming an adult seems to kick off in that like 12 and 13. And the end point of growing up to me, anyways, the end point of growing up is when you understand that your actions affect others, right? That you don't actually live for yourself, that you live, for, and some people I know never get there. But like when you, when you move from, you're done growing up, when you have moved from, um, I am just living for myself to realizing, no, in fact, I live for others. Uh, something like this happened to me when I had to start, when I started teaching. Um, I was a political science and theater major. I was not a, a, an education major. And yet one month after graduating from undergrad, I was teaching high school English in South Central LA at Dorsey High School. 
Um, it was a real trip. I went from being a college student to a month later, I was teaching summer school in gangland LA. Um, that was real, that'll really wake you up. But the thing it actually woke me up to was that I could not treat deadlines with the same loosey-goosey attitude I might have treated deadlines in college. You see, for the last three years of my four years at William & Mary, I turned in exactly no papers on time. I just gave up on the concept of turning papers in on time. It only bit me in the tail a couple of times. One class where I definitely earned a B, I got a really low C. Still passed, though, and that's what really mattered because I turned in things at late. One paper I turned in six months late, and it did cause me to get a B plus in the class. And I got really mad about this one, because I had earned an A. That paper was great. It was six months late, but it was a great paper. And so I went to the professor's office. I was like, hey, Professor Pulaski, I noticed that I got a B plus in your class. I definitely earned an A. And he went, you turned that paper in six months late. Okay. So I was a teacher through a program called Teach for America. And one of the, the things that Teach for America specializes in is giving you a crash course in becoming a teacher, to take you from an undergrad with no background in teaching to a fully-fledged classroom teacher in like six weeks. Um, it is super intense. But one of the things they make you do when you're first starting out is you have to turn in your lesson plans for review because you have no idea what you're doing. So they need to make sure that you are adequately planning. And if you turned in two lesson plans late, you got kicked out of the program. Because first thing in the morning, 20-something teenagers were going to be in my classroom expecting a lesson. And the principal of the school that I was serving at expected there to be teaching and learning happening in that classroom on time every day. I was no longer living for myself, and who cares? You know, those professors weren't going to grade those papers the day it was due anyways, so who cares when, they, when my papers came in? Two, the work I was doing affected a lot of other people. And so to me, that was a real moment of growing up of realizing not just that I had responsibility for my own actions, but that last stage of growing up of my actions affect others. I tell this story of adolescence because this is the only window we get into how Jesus grew up. And we are watching Jesus go on or get at least a snapshot into what it was like to grow up to be the savior of us all. And one of the things I want to do as we look at this story is take a step back and realize how really strange this story is. This story is super weird. Why is it here? Why is this the story we have, right? We have a lot on Jesus from like birth to one years old. That's Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2. We got all this stuff about like Jesus being born and the shepherds and the angels and the magi and then him being presented in the temple and the prophet and, the pro and the, all this stuff, right? We have all this material of what it was like to be Jesus from the moment he was born till he was about one years old. And then we have a pretty exhaustive categorization of Jesus from the age of 30 to the age of 33 when he dies and rises and ascends into heaven. This is the only window we get 
of the intervening 29 years. From Jesus being born to Jesus being baptized by John at about the age of 30. And it's a story where Jesus gets lost, where Mary and Joseph lose, misplace the Savior of us all. You can only imagine the conversations they are having as they are traveling back to Jerusalem. The angels appeared to us both, Mary. Yes, they appeared to us both, Joseph, right, arguing. He's going to save us all and we can't even save him. Yeah, you can imagine this real low point in their marriage, real low point in their parenting. Anyone who's ever lost their children in anything can imagine what that felt like. Now imagine losing your kid for three days in another city. He's 12. But we only get this one window. And it's a weird one. So what is going on here? Why did Luke feel the need to include this story and not some other story? Because on the surface of it, it looks like a really interesting story where Mary tells, Joseph, tells Jesus off. This is the only time we get, get the window of Jesus getting told off like we might have as children. Because that's kind of what's happening in verses 36 through 48. Excuse me, 46 through 48. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. You have said, the, if you have kids, you have said these words, some version of them, to your children at some point. I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. We are very scared. What's going on here? Jesus is 12. We are seeing... Jesus taking on what he needs to do for himself. He felt like he needed to spend extra time in the temple. Not because he was trying to scare his parents. He's 12. He made a decision like a 12-year-old would. One of the things he had to learn was, okay, I need to set this new boundary with my parents. I can't do this. Wasn't out of malice. He wasn't trying to escape. He is claiming something for himself. He is embarking on that journey. He is seeking out those who can help prepare him for that journey. And that's his response to Mary in verse 49. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Okay, that is a real 12-year-old response to that question. But you can hear in it that Jesus is doing that thing you're supposed to do somewhere around 12 and 13. It's no longer Mary and Joseph preparing him for the journey he must go on. It is now him taking responsibility for himself. This is, we are watching Jesus grow up. We are watching Jesus begin to take on the mantle of what it means to be the Savior, what it means to be the Messiah, what he needs to be prepared to do that. He needs to be in his father's house. He needs to seek those who are going to know the things he needs to know. We see him do this again in the Garden of Gethsemane and the night before he is crucified. He again seeks out God. He spends time with God to allow himself to be shaped and formed. 
that Jesus takes this moment to claim his faith, to claim his journey, and to set out for himself on the journey that leads to a life of earthly ministry, to death on a cross, to resurrection, to grace. And this journey of growth is part of what we believe is the perfect human life. Jesus lived the perfect human life. That's part of why Jesus came at all, right? Part of what gives the crucifixion punch is he deserves no punishment. It's how we know he didn't sneak out intentionally, that he unintentionally got left behind, right? Because for the crucifixion to have punch, he has to have deserved no earthly punishment. Jesus lived the perfect human life. He's the only one who's ever done it. And it's only because he's both fully human and fully God. But in this perfect human life, Jesus, too, took time to grow. We are here watching Jesus grow up, watching Jesus make a mistake, watching Jesus learning how to better honor. He knew he was supposed to honor his father and mother. He learned a new way he needed to do that, make sure he was where he needed to be. We're watching him claim his faith for himself, watching him take on this journey for himself. We are watching him grow. It's the only window we get into this. But here, in this perfect human life, is Jesus taking time to grow. So if you start to reflect on your own life and think, I'm not, I'm not where, where I need, need to be yet. My life is not yet as it should be. I need to grow some more. Don't judge yourself. It turns out it's a part of being human. It was even a part of Christ's life as a human to grow and develop and change. That is a part of what it means to be human, is to grow and develop and change and maybe not come into the world fully formed as you need to be, but other people and life needs to shape you and you need to welcome in the things that will shape you to lead you to be the person you need to be. That here, here in Luke 2, 41 through 52, we are watching Jesus start the journey of the cross, journey to the cross for himself. Claim that for himself. And begin that journey. I am willing to bet that a lot of us in this room are on a journey with God that maybe that journey hasn't hit its end point. Maybe that journey has not led us to where we think God needs us to be yet, and that is okay. That is a part of being human. That is a part of being on a journey. That faith and life in God is a journey, not just a destination. It is being formed over time. 
as we see happening with Christ himself being formed over time, but claiming that journey and beginning that journey. And so let this scripture be for all of us a reminder to begin the journey, to be on that journey, to continue that journey, but to know that it is a journey and not just a destination. That it is not just, I accepted Jesus, now my life is perfect. That is not how that plays out, friends. It is, I have accepted Christ, I have begun that journey, and now I am on a journey. That will have its ups, it will have its downs, but will transform us over time. If we begin, if we stay on it, if we continue. And here, we get a snapshot of Jesus doing that, modeling even that part for us, of growing up, of taking on his faith for himself and beginning that journey that saves us all. Let us pray. Gracious loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you indeed chose us. We give you thanks that you indeed came into the world, that you lived a life that looks like ours, that you set that example for us. God, may we live into that example. May we begin or continue that journey letting you form us into the people you need us to be. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you, form one united body in Christ, for indeed, the power of God's spirit, it is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Christ came for us. May we begin that journey with Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.